The Story in Your Head, Episode 9, Self-Led Teams. So today we're going to talk about self-led teams, and I've always wondered about them. I mean, doesn't somebody have to lead somewhere? So Rob, how do you hold self-led teams? Thank you, Michelle. The first place I start is self-led team, which means the people to lead themselves. Like that's the first place we start in the conversation is leading yourself. And self-led teams means that as a group, they work together. Right? Like there's no director or manager or supervisor in charge of the group. The group has a, like they know what the outcome looks like. They get that from their leader. Once they now know what the outcome should look like and they get the like support from like HR or, or financials to know like what their budgets are and that kind of stuff, then the team actually is responsible for creating how they're going to implement the project which is different than somebody telling you what you need to do. So how do those teams structure though? Right, you can lead yourself, got that. Do they morph the structures that go along, you know, as people have different ideas or how how does that look? Fundamentally, the person who if you would say who are you following or who are you leading with, at each moment the person who has the best knowledge or the best capacity could be a leader. Right? And they could be a place where like they're working together to create that space. So everybody has input, but whoever has can have the best idea would actually be the one who would say that like, and there's no ego. Like there's no ego in the space of, well, this is my idea, not your idea. So we're going to do my idea, not your idea. It's like, ooh, I think that one's better, which requires a completely different orientation or what we would call way of being, but an orientation to who, or who you're working with, right? Like there's a space of, you're creating a new outcome or an outcome. And then each person has the ability to have impact like into that. And they're always looking for, as a team, what is the best way to work that works for us? Not the, what is the way that the boss said to do it. What is the best way that works for us? It does require, in a way, a leader. It requires that there is somebody there that's what I call the artist or the the leader that creates a picture of what it was and what it will mean when we're done. Like, what does the end result look like? Right. So there is a picture that says we're going to meet these kind of standards. We're going to it's going to look like this. Customers will love what we're doing here, and they and it paints a picture so that everybody knows what that is. So the there is a space where there's somebody who sets like where we're going but all the little details and all the strategies and tactics that are inside there are all created by the team working together. Okay, great. So it sounds like somebody can kind of step up and help because they have a good idea at the time and organize, but that may not be the same person next time because somebody else may do that. Is that, am I getting that? Is that right? I would say not only do I hold that that is correct or right, but, each person will build on what the last person has created. So because somebody's created something and the experiment has been run, everybody else may be able to notice or somebody else will be able to notice a new and better way to do that, which is one of the fundamentals of why self-led teams will create faster, innovate faster than teams that are run with hierarchical 
because everybody's in the mode of trying to figure out what is the best way for us to do this. And they're noticing it from a standpoint, it's not just like, how do I do this better? But how can we do this better? And the ego begins to melt away. Yeah, thanks. So assuming these self-led teams are in a, in a structure of an organization, there is management, I guess I'll call it. What new skills do they need to allow the growth and prosperity, I'll put it, of self-led teams? What's the new role? I hold, from my own experience and from what I see is happening, the first role is to believe in the team that you have. So you could say chief believer in that you have the ability to notice that people may be scared. You have the ability to notice when fears are showing up and to believe in them and tell them that you believe in them, that you actually can, that they can do it. The other part of the role is to be there when people fall out of the self-leading teams to encourage to come back to the self-leading teams. They go, well, they're just doing it the wrong way, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it my way. And you go, will that contribute to the whole team? And to be that cheerleader for the process. One of the concerns about self-led teams is most people don't have this experience or the knowledge of how to do it. And so they will fall back into their old habits. And those old habits will shut down the process if you're waiting for somebody to tell you what to do or you're not sharing what you've created with the other people because you're part of a team. And that will, will be one of the biggest challenges. But it will also be one of the greatest advancements is that you can actually set your ego aside and just be with the other people and create and celebrate as a group. like you would with fewer family. Yeah. So it sounds like it can be a little scary in the beginning, right? As you make the shift from being told what to do to figure it out. My words. Mm -hmm. What advice can you give people to help them make that shift? First one is I, I use the story as a metaphor of Egypt and the, the times of Pharaoh and that what happened was he let the people go, right? And now they wandered out into the desert. And according to what I've read, it didn't take them too long to figure out how to make new gods and kind of want to go back into the slavery like they were before because they were very comfortable with that, right? And they actually stayed in the desert for 40 years so that, well, one, they could learn how to be free, right? And then they could let them into the promised land. So if we use that as a metaphor, those changes from being used to being told what to do to being responsible for yourself is really scary. And you'll, we will, me included, have a tendency to drift back into our old habits because we, we could go, well, it worked before. I, I, I'm comfortable there. And being a self-led team is not about comfort. It is really about having the courage Put your space, put your thinking, your knowledge out there, not not to be right, but in a way to add to the entire group. And it will be scary. And there will be people who won't want to go. And courage will be a part of what we're what we're into with self-led teams. To really be open and authentic. 
when they get used to it, it'll be, it'll be amazing. Thanks. Let's take a step back to the manager again, or I love it, the chief believer. I imagine it's pretty scary there. And what do you think about trust? How does that play into this whole thing? So there's two distinctions of trust that I hold. One is, well, somebody has already performed a certain way, so I trust that they can perform that way again. Like it's like a noun. They are trustworthy and in that space. And then there's the other trust, which I hold as a verb, which means I trust somebody, which may or may not have the proof of the history inside there. It's in a space of creating, like, I'm going to trust them. I believe in them, and I trust in them. And to let them know you trust in them. It's not just that you trust in them. It's that they know you trust in them. And there's some steps in that. One is like to have the story in your own head. The second part is to speak the story outside of your head so people can actually hear it, right? And then to f back it up with your actions. Like when somebody comes in and they're, they're, they're in a mode of panic or upset and to be there and go, I believe in you. I trust you'll get this. Is some help you need, right? but to not make the decisions, the choices for them, but to believe in them so that they begin to build the skill to be able to trust them themselves. Well, how do you use it, Michelle? Yeah, so, well, the first thing that came to my mind was an example, let me go into that and, and maybe I can do that. I, I was fortunate enough that I was offered a, a position to run a help desk. As for a large company, the help desk was in... 73 countries had to support. So it was huge, right? All wow. over the place. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, okay, fine. And if I went the traditional method of a hierarchy, right? Because you had time zones, you have all sorts of things. I would have more managers than I would people, right? Because it's like you had to manage all the, so I'm like, well, this isn't going to work. So I was kind of not forced into, but backed into a more self-led team structure because there was no other way to do it right? Otherwise, it just wasn't going to work. And one of the things that I found with that is, you know, each team knew their local market, right? Because there's cultural differences, there's time zone differences, they knew better answers, we would give them the corporate answer, right? But then they modified it for the local market. And at first, I was really uncomfortable. It's like, what are they doing? What are they doing over there? Right? It's 12 hours away. It's like, is, are, are people happy? What's going on? And you had to let go, right? And let them entrust, meaning I believed in them and they were going to take care of the people in the local market in the best way possible. And what I became is just someone to go around and say, what can I do for you? Right? What blockers are in the way? Maybe what some administration stuff that had to be done or whatever. It was a huge change. And what we did was satisfaction surveys. And I did it before we started, which was, this was an internal help desk. And my thinking always about internal help desks is it's a great place because your customers actually can't run away because it's internal. <laughs> Got it. So a lot of people use that as, well, we can do whatever we want because they can't run away. But we took it as what if they were like, treat them like external and they could run away. And the customer satisfaction went up tenfold. Nice. And the employee satisfaction went up because they felt they had the ability to modify for the local market. 
But for me, as somebody that ran that group, it was pretty scary because I had to trust and believe that they could do the job that's best for that local market. And I did. And it was wonderful, but it was fairly uncomfortable in the beginning. And I wouldn't say that there weren't issues, right? But we could work through every single one of them. So one of the things I, I noticed for myself, Michelle, is I learned something somewhere. And I go, oh, this is, this, this is like, I, I got this now. Like I've learned it, right? Because through hard knocks or watching others or whatever it is, I learned it, right? And I, I got it ready to hand. And then in self-led teams as a leader in that space, the team may come up with an answer that you're going like, oh, that is not the right answer. I know the right answer. That, how do you deal with that? How do you work with that? So I'd say the first time that came up for me was to work with the team exactly the way. I don't think that's right, right? Trying to jelly bean them or lead them into what I thought was the right answer. Mm -hmm. But then what I realized, and one of the examples was the difference in answering a question for somebody in Japan than you would in China, right? The way you would answer, this is in, in an HR space, and the way you would answer a different one. And so I ran an experiment and said, okay, give it a try. And it worked. And I'm like, huh, don't I feel like an idiot, right? That was probably the right answer all the time. But my background said no, because that wasn't the corporate standard. So we changed it. And initially that was really hard. And it was really hard because my management didn't understand, right? So I also had the responsibility of, I trusted my team and my job was to let them do their job and to prevent the corporate standards and the hierarchy that was in other spots to affect their ability to do their job. So it was interesting. My role totally changed. Thanks, Michelle. What I noticed when I went into that was the metaphor that I use for that is like to form an umbrella. And that is to protect the team from outside influences so that they can create themselves means to form, like I form and forming an umbrella to protect them from all the other word came down and corporate policy and corporate structures and everything else that has to happen in there and to let them create. And what I found was I noticed I had to put myself on the other side of that umbrella sometimes too, to keep me from getting in the middle of that. And very mm -hmm. similar to what you, you spoke was they always came up with better solutions than I did. And I don't, like, I don't have the distinction to know whether they actually had a better solution or because it was theirs, they owned it and they made it work. But the results were clear when I stayed out of it and let them create it because they were close of me, like they're closer to the work. They understand it better than I do. Then if I just formed that umbrella and the shield to let them go create they always outperform anything I could do from being the leader or the manager of the team. Yeah. I remember at one point I was thinking, do I need to be here? Right. I'm pretty insignificant in this whole thing, but I did have a role and that's to make sure that they could do their job. It was just different not to tell them what to do. What did they need? Better internet, whatever it might be. Is it okay to not be needed? I got over it. <laughs> <laughs> but not initially, but I did get over it. <laughs> Sorry, I have a, a visual of, and I don't remember where it was. I've looked for it again, but it was a set of management training videos 
a long, long time ago, and it had John Cleese in it. Who, like, who doesn't like John Cleese, right? It's always fun, right? And the manager said, "But if I do that, they won't. I won't be needed." And Cleese grabs him and throws him against the wall and goes, "The greatest compliment a manager can ever have is that he's no longer needed." And I think that's the the beginning of moving to self led teams, and when when the manager can actually be free and clear from that space. Yeah, what I found for me as the manager, now I could do other things. So what I had to learn as a leader, once I realized I was not really needed or needed only a tiny bit, it freed me up to do other things. And what I started to work on is I brought more work into the teams. We expanded the role. I almost became like the salesperson, right? To continue to find other things that they came up with of what else they can help and to work with senior management to make that happen. So we continue to expand the role and it's like, well, this was actually a lot more fun, mm -hmm. but I had to get past my own self of, no, 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 this is the role. Look at the job description. This is what it says I'm supposed to do. You can change the job description. Mm -hmm. yep. It's just a piece of paper. It's just a story. Yep. So Rod, do you have any examples of taking a team sort of, to the other side, I'm going to call it, from being told what to do to a self-led team? Several examples, some more successful than the others. But I think that probably one of the more complete versions of that was, it was a group I took over actually when I first moved to Houston, Texas. And it had several managers. In fact, about every two years, there was a new manager. And it was not well liked from the, inside the organization. So they weren't coordinating and cooperating with the other groups better, like a way that met everybody's satisfaction. And it was losing around $10 million a year, rough numbers. But it was like, there's, you could say, well, that's okay because of the other things that were growing at the time. So like it, we kind of got washed away. I'm, I'm careful with, you know, losing $10 million in a, in a billion dollar corporation, not as big a deal, right? if there's some strategic purpose for it. And when I, when I got there, uh, the team, it was, uh, that's really where I picked up the phrase word came down. Right. You know, I'd, I'd come in to talk about something and go, yeah, but words coming down. Right. Go, what, what do you guys mean? What do you mean words coming? What's, 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 You're looking up, right? What, what, yeah, what's up there? Yeah. It was like, what? And they were so used to word coming down from corporate headquarters, telling them what they could and couldn't do. And when, when they were going to do it, that it was just a habit for them. They just got used to that. We did some rearranging, but we did a lot of storytelling about people and a lot of believing in people, right? We had to reshape like how they, like look at the people to say who has the best uh, skills and, and capacities. We moved our finance guy to a responsible for all of our technicians we moved a tooling guy to be in charge of all the facilities. We let some people find new jobs, brought in, developed some people, and brought in some from outside. But all the time doing that, we kept creating like everybody in each individual role. They had authority to do everything in that role. And then creating the stories about how it fit into the company, how it fit in with the, we, we were like a service group. And then you had the customer contact group we had like just we called district service managers so they they owned the customer and we did service through them for the customers so we didn't have customers we had internal customers 
we changed that story about being a part of the customer, you know, who our customer was, how we're going to take care of them, what our goals are, what are everything else in that space. And as time, like in about two years, people began to believe in what they were doing and how they were doing it. And I let them create enough of their own world so that they felt it was theirs. So we had new innovations. We had new spaces for service offerings. We had new ways to build trust with the internal customers because we really didn't have any external customers to where it was probably about two and a half years in, they came to us and said, we'd like for you to take on this other whole division. So we added another division. So we went from like 180 employees to 350 employees. And it was in another remote city. And the, it came with a manager, which I loved the guy. He was a great guy. He retired. So we had to find somebody to put in that place. And they were moving locations and lots, lots of fun stuff we went through. And at about four years, five years in, we got nominated for best place to work in Houston, Texas. And we won, which, you know, it's kind of one of those things that, you know, like you can be in the top 10 of each division and you're considered a winner. But in Houston, a big city, that we were in the top 10 of our division was pretty good. And it got down to the place that I kind of ran out of things to do. <laughs> right? Like I kind of joke with people for years. Yeah, I can do 15 minutes a day and I'm kind of doing my job. Everything needs to get done. That's because everybody had a space where they could create their own world and they knew what it would look like and how it was connected. A lot of storytelling in that space to, to understand all that. And I, I don't know exactly why this happened, but they were going to do some analysis on different business groups and Siemens, the headquarters had come up with this place and they were supposed to go someplace in New Jersey, but something happened and they weren't going to go there. And they redirected this analysis company to come in and look at us. And so they came in and to basically analyze the whole business. I think some of it was from safety standpoint, which we had a pretty good safety record. And like, there's just some different things that they were looking at. And I just kind of walked in and said, here's my team. You know, whatever you want to ask them, talk to them, go. And I just walked away because, like, that's that's where all the work was done. That's where they, what the analysis was done. No talking to me doesn't do anything because I'm I just paint the picture where it's going to go. They're the ones that figure out how to do it. And at the end of the conversation, I was out to get this, but I didn't know he would get it. He said, "I've never seen an organization like this. You're really not needed. Everybody really understands like what they're after." And what they're going and and how they work together, right? And then I he said something that stuck in my mind. He goes, "This organization could completely run for without you for about six months." He goes, and then the the Lord of the Flies things would kick in. That's what exactly what he said. The Lord of the Flies <laughs> things would kick in, and somebody would start to take over. He goes, but six months is is pretty amazing. And at that moment, I go, okay, so we're like we're we really have created what is a self led team. And each team has their own self-led team. And you could see the the trust and the authenticity and the vulnerability that everybody could just speak what was on their mind and really talk about it. And that enabled them to do that. And it went from you know, being one of the worst places to work in all of Siemens United States <laughs> to being the best place to work in Houston, Texas was what they did. I, I mean, all I did was tell a bunch of stories. And they created all the space and the structures and strategies to do that. And I really felt like most of the time I spent shielding them from word coming down to tell them how to do their job. Yeah, thanks, Ron. Wonderful accomplishment. 
interesting to hear the consultant kind of say there's still a medical light maintenance to keep a self-led team going. It's, it's not totally. And it sounded like it was a two-year journey. And one of my questions is, could everybody make the transition or did you have to, what did you do for those that it just wasn't going to work for them? Ran lots of experiments on how to engage people to do that. One experiment was somebody who we ran the experiment with him. Like, could he create and work with people in a dignified manner? Right. And, and he really was in the, the mindset of, I tell you what to do. And that is the right way to do it. And we, I had you know, dialogue for six months on a regular basis with him to try to see if he could move beyond that. And the only way for me to take care of his team was to encourage him to find a job someplace else. And he finally, he did come to me and say, you know, I, I don't think this is the right place for me. and I've got another job offer. I go, I encourage you to, to take it. I'll give you a good reference. Right? So you can go away. We had another individual who couldn't, like really couldn't get how to treat and take care of people. Like he was too nice. And people, people could walk all over him. So he, he would not act with enough authority to, and as a way to take care of him, right? And we finally got to a place where we had no place for him. Great guy. Everybody loved the guy. He was a wonderful individual, right? And finally we said, oh, you can't do that job here, and I don't have another job for you. So you can go find another job, and we'll pay you until you figure out what to do, right? So I, we could do that because I didn't want what I, my concern was, Everybody go, what? Why did you do that to him? He's a good guy, right? And so we let him go find another job. And it, it took him about two months. And you could say, well, gosh, you spent 10 grand on this guy for two months. And really it was 10 grand that I spent on everybody else to let them see that how we take care of people, right? And uh, interesting, I, I talked to him, I don't know, eight months later. I said, so how was it? Because it was an experiment for me to let you take, find your time to do that. And he said, the worst two months of my life. Because I didn't have anything to do. I couldn't contribute. So yes, we had several people who didn't make it. And we had some people who I would have guessed, never have guessed they were going to make it. Like if they could move on to the self-led teams, right? They were old school, nearly that old. They were just old school, right? This is the way it is. You have to do this. You have to do that. And at about six months into the process of that space, he came to me and said, you know, this is a different world, and I like it. I want to, I want to be a part of it. So, no, they didn't all make it. But it did make it a whole lot easier to recruit people to come into the team. And the team got really picky about who they would let in. I could imagine I ran into the, the same thing, right? At one point, I had a waiting list uh, of people to actually join the certain teams. But I'm curious, during that transition time where people were sort of sorting out, for those that really wanted to go to self-led teams, how did they how did they react to the sorting? You know, some people are going to make it, some people aren't going to make it. You know, watching you, I'm going to call it this way, remove people or having them self-select out. How did that start out? I'm assuming at the end, everybody was happy, but it couldn't have been that comfortable during. So I, I do remember because I never had the story that we have to get rid of somebody. I always had the story that we want to find the place that works best for them. 
right? And I would, oh, I, I used this line several times where I'd say, okay, well, I really hope you have a good life, right? And as I, as I, as I walk out the door and I don't know, it was about six months in when people would hear that line and you could see them cringe, <laughs> right? And I, was, I was like, what, what, are you, what is the cringe about? He goes, oh, we know, that's it, you're done. I go, what do you mean I'm done? I just said, I wish them a good life. And they said, this is their lines. It means you're not going to help them anymore. Mm-hmm. And I reflected on that and I said, that is exactly what I meant. Right Now, if you come back into my world, Great, but it, no, I really do wish you a good life. But I'm not. I'm. I'm done in the space of helping, right? And nothing mean. If they came back in, great. I, I'd be doing that. But I'm not going to. Wherever they're going, I wish them a happy life, right? So the the team, they had no space to say what what this was going to turn out like. I think many of them think thought it was uh, maybe I'm not using the right word utopian, right? But they thought this was too good to be true. It doesn't work that way, Ron. I've heard that many times. That does not work. That's not how it works. People need to be told what to do. You need to tell them you need to you know, direct them on everything else inside there. We even got to the place where there were many of the project managers who set them up in the field that would start to lead this way. Make sure I answered your question there. Yeah, no, absolutely. The reason I asked that is we were moving to, to self-led teams and some other aspects, and we're having a really hard time this isn't the right term. It's one that they use with the legacy employees, right? Because they were used to working in a certain way. And I think sometimes we took the easy way out. And because it was a big company, we could do this. We'd open up a new office in a different state, you know, a thousand miles away because then you could hire new. Now, what we would do sometimes is offer people to relocate to the new site. But I'm not sure that always gave an opportunity to everybody when we did that. I think we sort of cheated some people, right? Because they needed the time to make the shift and can't expect people to do it in two months. So that's why I was asking about the timeframes and working that through. Yep. One more step I want to add in here besides like them to transition or to transition out was we, our stand was that if you don't want to be here, really want to be here, we're okay with that but you get to go away, right? And that's not as simple as it sounds because you go like, what do you mean? You fired people? Yes. When people could fall in, like fit into that space and hold their own responsibility for their role. And we actually had, we had fired or let go enough people that we showed up on Siemens U.S. radar as we had let more people go than the rest of Siemens North America. So our little 350-person group had let go more people than the 80,000 employees that were working in North America. And so they go, this is, this is, there's, there's something going on here, so let's investigate, I learned later. And they went in and they went through every case that we had let somebody go. And, and here's the difference. Self-led teams who have a stand when people don't want to be here they let them go. That was not the practice at the other 80,000 person companies. They tolerate, they accept, they don't move them away. And, and our stand was we do everything we can to help them. And the last chance we have to help them is to give them a significant emotional event, meaning unemployment, 
and then go find a new job. And at the same time, we were investigated for firing more people than all of Siemens North America. We were awarded best place to work in Houston, Texas. Right? And I hold those go together because people, the people who didn't want to be there weren't there. Everybody wanted to be there. That's why I made it a fun place to work. Everybody felt they could contribute. They were part of the decision process. They had impact in what they were doing, and they cared about each other. Oh, we, we also went from losing $10 million a year to making $20 million a year and then making $35 million a year in the, the business process. So it wasn't just that we made it a fun place to work. We became much more profitable in our business. And although I was the leader, I give credit to everybody on that team because everybody in some way contributed into that space to create that accomplishment. All I did was create a space. Hey, thanks, Ron. I just want to acknowledge you for that. And I'm speculating because we've had to move people on from where I work too. And I'd call them up sometimes six months later and they were actually happy because they were able to sit down and think about what they really wanted to do. And we didn't have that offer, so we couldn't have done that. And the other thing that I see companies do, which I was both a recipient of, and, and I had a stand I wouldn't go with this practice, is what I called the buddy pass. You know somebody's not a good fit for the company, and so what you do is you help them to move to your friend's group. And the same problem exists, right? Instead of dealing with it and helping that person really figure out what's right for them, which may not be even in the same company that they're in today. Yep. Thank you for that. I would want to acknowledge Vince Shatlock, who was, during that time I was there, he was my manager, and he had a stand that was fit in perfect, and that is we, we don't pass our problems on to somebody else. Right? And there was a same kind of practice, you know, move, move, move them around, and, and you know, hopefully they get lost in the game and all that. I, I don't know what the... We, we let people know like where they were and who they like how they stood for us. And we never passed it on to somebody else. And I really appreciate his stand in that manner. Mm, thank you. Anything else that you'd like to wrap up with on self-led teams? I, I guess my, my last, like last comment in, in this is it can be very scary as the manager at first because what you became good at, which was solving problems and, and directing and taking care of stuff, it's it's now your crutch in self-led teams. And it's a space where you can now see how to do it. And being on a self-led team means you're, that's not your role anymore. And to have the courage to let them run their experiments, to figure it out and to grow will come really quickly that you're no longer, like your knowledge from the past is no longer relevant because they're creating new knowledge, new spaces, all that. And that can be exceptionally fun. And what can you invent as a challenge is if you have that space and time that your team are taking care of it, what can you invent to take care of them in a better, more powerful way than what you had before? And that's what, with the time and energy that I was not spending on directing, I could create new offers, take on new roles, take on new spaces, create new spaces for that to take care of them in a more powerful way than they ever thought was, like anybody ever thought was possible. But if you don't have the time to do that, you can't create it. I think that's my last comment because it's, 
it will be the leaders who create this, the ones who are in charge of those groups. And that's, they're the ones who, can, who could have the greatest fear about giving up that control. How about you? Yeah, thanks, Ron. The only other thing I'd add to that is I was amazed how much I could learn from each person. Yeah. Right. They taught me how, how to navigate the world, right? In the one job, 73 countries, people teaching me how to work and survive in a global economy. And I had 500 people helping me. Oh my goodness. It was wonderful. A lot of fun and very supportive. It was a very supportive environment. So thank you very much. Thank you for the great topic today. This is, this is the future. Actually, it's here now. Yeah, it, it's, thank you. I, I think it's here now, but it's not common knowledge yet. Mm-hmm. But it's getting there. And that's really cool. It's a lot of fun. Well, I'm Ron Macklin. I'm Michelle Masago. And this is The Story in Your Head. And this is the episode on self-led teams. Thank you all for listening today. Please take a moment to subscribe to The Story in Your Head on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Thank you all, and we'll see you next time. Bye.